Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Luke 24, 13 through 35. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Luke in your Bible. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, It is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of them who were there there with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all the the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had made known to them, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Well, that's the word of the Lord for us today. Thank you, Sam. Well, we are on the third week after Easter, and we are still, in the passage that we're looking at today, we are still on Easter Sunday. All of the passages that we've looked at since Easter Sunday um, have been taken from, from that day. And, and we started on Easter with the story about the Marys. Uh, they came to anoint Jesus' body, and they come and they find two soldiers who have been, been passed out. Like they shook, and then they were like dead men, uh, Matthew tells us. And, uh, and they end up telling the religious leaders what happens after they realize that Jesus isn't there, the soldiers do. And there's this, uh, this story that begins to circulate that, uh, well, and it's really a story that, that the biblical writers don't pay a whole lot of attention to, that someone, instead of Jesus 
raising from the dead, somebody took Jesus' body and stole it. Uh, the Marys might have believed this had they not run into Jesus, the resurrected Christ, on their way out from the garden. And they run into him, and Jesus says, I want you to go back and tell my friends uh, that I'm going to be with them shortly. Uh, tell them that I have risen from the dead. And, and we don't know exactly how much the Marys understood about all of that, and we certainly don't know um, how much the disciples took to heart, because even after they found out that this was the case, that, that Jesus' body wasn't there and he maybe had been risen from the dead, they, they hid in a room with the door locked. And that's what we looked at last week, that, that you and I would be free, uh, afraid as well because, uh, well, the guy that we had just been following for a long time just got, well, he got murdered by, uh, for being a subversive to the, to the state of Rome or uh, blaspheming against God in, in depending on who per, whose perspective you're on. And as their followers, you, well, you, you're scared that they might be coming for you next. And so it's, it's understandable. But Jesus appears to them in their midst and, and offers them a greeting of peace. In the midst of all of their fear, he says, peace be with you. Uh, and they obviously get a little excited, except one of them wasn't there, Thomas, right? Uh, we generally know him as Doubting Thomas, although I think that's a bad name. Uh, because Thomas, uh, even though he's saying, you know, I won't really believe that Jesus is raised from the dead until I see, you know, the nail holes in his hands and in his side. Um, he just wants what the other disciples have already witnessed. Well, a week later, uh, they're all in the room again. And Jesus shows up again. And he's, it's, it's remarkable. He doesn't, he doesn't speak down to, to Thomas for not believing. He simply says, Thomas, believe, and shows him the marks, uh, the scars that have been uh, healed and transformed, that that the world meant for uh, harm and hurt and death, uh, Christ has redeemed and restored. And then my favorite part of the story is that that Jesus breathes on them and says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And we said at the end of last week that, that we can't ever stop with just Jesus' death, his crucifixion. That's only part of the story. Because the crucifixion doesn't mean anything if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead. And, and we said we couldn't just stop with the resurrection uh, because resurrection, bring, bring, being brought back from old life to new, always includes ascending. It is a, a, a being sent into the world. And, and this is what happens with us as, as we understand and begin to take our place in, in God's story, as we become recipients of, of the resurrection, Christ says, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. Uh, we are sent and propelled out from our gathering place into the world around us to proclaim both in word and in deed the death and resurrection and mission of God in the world. Well, um, we don't know exactly when Jesus decides to, to catch up to these two gentlemen. Cleopas and his unnamed friend, uh, I love, there, there are a few biblical names that I really love. Cleopas is one of them. The other one is Dorcas, which also means Tabitha. <laughs> she's, uh, yeah, she's shaking her head at me. I'll, 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 I'll hear that later. She just won't make me cinnamon rolls anymore or biscuits and gravy, and that would be a tragedy. Um, 
yeah, that's a good name, and, but we're not given the other name. And, and this week, uh, I was like, why, why wouldn't we know? I think, I think that the, the other guy in this story is Luke himself, the guy who's writing this particular account of, of Jesus. I think Luke was there with Cleopas, and he doesn't want to name himself because he doesn't want people to think he's dumb or that he didn't get it. Uh, so that's where, and maybe that's because that's what I would do. You know, like if, I, if it's not my shining moment, I'm going to make up an illustration about somebody else, not, not myself. Uh, but so I, they're, they're walking along, and, uh, and, and they may be leaving Jerusalem on the, on the way to Emmaus because, like the other disciples, uh, they're scared. Uh, or, or maybe just they're, they're resigned to the fact that all their hopes have been disappointed. Uh, that, that everything maybe that they've begun to give their life to, the, the worldview that they had that's now been changed and transformed, they're, just, they're leaving Jerusalem and they're going to go back to whatever it is they were doing beforehand. And so they're walking along and they're, they're sad. And all of a sudden, another traveler comes up behind them and it's like, hey guys, what you talking about? Which is what with our youngest son Josh does, I think, every day when we drop him off at school. Goes up to his friends, like, what you guys talking about? I imagine that's what Jesus says in a, in a, in a overly enthusiastic and happy kind of way because he was dead and now he's not. And he knows the significance of this even if, even if these two men, Cleopas and his unnamed friend, have no clue. Now, the, the, the text tells us that, like, their progress stops. You know, they're walking along. It's like eight miles from Jerusalem to, to Ebeus. And, and uh, seven, is that what it said? Okay, seven, eight, it's all whatever. That's why I have other people in spreadsheets for math. Um, yeah, so they're walking along. And, and I, think, I think Cleopas and his friend, they just, they just stop. And I can imagine in, in my own mind, and I, I, maybe you put yourself in this story as well where you were Cleopas or his unnamed friend, and, and, and they're like, maybe it's like the day after the Super Bowl when you go to work and everybody's talking about that funny commercial. And you're like, which commercial? And they're like, are you the only one that did not in the whole country watch the commercials or the football game? Because let's be honest, they're about the same in, in terms of funness. Uh, but they, they, these guys are like, they're dumbfounded by the fact that this, this man could be coming from the same direction as them, from Jerusalem, and have no earthly idea what's happening. And so they begin to, they begin to explain, uh, they begin to, explain to, to this man, Jesus, what he's missing. And, and they're like, are you, you are the only one that doesn't know. And I love, I love Jesus' response. Uh, let me find it here. Well, okay. Before that, they, uh, they tell him, where is it? We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all of this, this is now the third day since that took place. They are <clears throat> expressing their disappointment that Jesus doesn't turn out to be the person they want him to be. That in, in, in some way, uh, in, for whatever reason, 
their minds and their understandings have just been blocked by not understanding truly what Jesus was up to. Now, I, I, think, I think they come by this honestly uh, because their culture and, and the Jewish religious leaders, they, they may have known the entire story of the Old Testament and been able to tell it and quote large chunks of it from memory, but somehow uh, the collective culture, the air that they breathe or the water that they drink just, just kept them from being able to truly understand just what Jesus is doing and, and how it was possible that Jesus, uh, if he really was the Messiah, could die. Because the number one rule of being a Messiah is that you don't die. That's the number one rule. And so they're like, you know, everything we had hoped for uh, is, is done. And, but, you know, some of our friends have said that the tomb was empty and there was an angel that told them that Jesus isn't, you know, isn't there, but that he's been raised from the dead. And we just don't, we don't know. We don't know what to do with this. Uh, then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Uh, Oh, how foolish you are. Whereas Jesus doesn't chastise Thomas, uh, these two get a little, little bit of a tongue lashing. Maybe not, not much. How foolish and slow of heart. I, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus ever thinks that about us. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure he has about me on lots of occasions. Oh, how foolish you are. Uh, but I, I love that, that Jesus doesn't just kind of say, hey, you idiots. Like, <laughs> Uh, this guy hung out with you because he's not, you know, they don't know who he is at this point. Uh, this guy hung out with you for a long time and you know your scriptures, you're smart people, you should be able to piece all of these things together and they just, they just weren't able to. But then uh, he goes on and then the beginning, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them, to them the things about himself in all of scripture. I wonder how that might have felt. Uh, what kind of emotional roller coaster they, they might have been on at this particular point. They go from sadness and dejection, uh, and everything is falling apart, the sky is falling, to this guy coming up and beginning to challenge and poke and, and teach. And, and we'll see later on that they're saying, like, yeah, like their hearts were burning within them. Have you ever had an experience like that where someone has explained to you something? Um, and you just know in your heart that it's right. Like where you get really excited because the possibilities of, of what's being explained to you, whether that was in school or in sports, or, but you're just filled with this anticipation and expectation that because of the knowledge that you are receiving, like things will be different. Or that it might spark or change something within you so that you might see and, and embrace things just a little bit. Well, Jesus takes a whole bunch of time uh, and he's explaining to them this whole story, starting with Moses. 
Uh, of course, we know, we know about Moses, right? The burning bush and let my people go. And I, I wonder how far they had been into the walk because that story, if you tell it correctly, from Moses until all the prophets, covers a long period of time. And there's lots of things in there. And I, it would have been really interesting to hear Jesus explain all this. It, long enough, though, that the sun is beginning to set. And they are going to look for a place to stay the night because traveling at night those days was not safe. Like you were, you were likely to get robbed or beat up at the very least, uh, have all your stuff taken. Because bandits were, were, along this, were along this road, pretty much every major uh, thorough, thoroughfare. And so because they are so wrapped up, they've been so captured by the, the story that Jesus has been telling them, a story that they know, but they're seeing with fresh and new eyes. They're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. We, we want you to be safe. We think that you should come and eat with us. Uh, Jesus is like, nah, I got places to be. Like he can't teleport wherever he wants to go. Uh, but they, they finally, they persuade him. And they begin and they sit down and they eat. Uh, verse, thir- uh, verse 30 when he was at the table with them he took the bread he blessed and broke it and gave it to them then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight I took the bread and he broke it now just like last week we said that that when Jesus stepped back from his friends in the upper room and he breathed on them, they, they would have automatically gone to creation and God's breathing the world into existence, speaking everything in. Uh, and, and they would have understood that, that what Jesus was doing was, was important in that moment and that there was an act of creation that was happening as Jesus was sending them out. I, it's like that these two sit and I don't know if these two particular folks had been at the Last Supper. Uh, if not, they, uh, they've certainly heard about it. And, and Jesus takes this moment in this breaking of bread. And well, maybe we've got to back up a second. So the, the Last Supper is this, the, the Passover meal that Jesus celebrates with his disciples right before he's betrayed and, and handed over and, and killed. And and that Passover meal celebrates God's greatest act of salvation for his people up to that point, the exodus from Egypt, right? It's where the angel of death passes over the children of Israel uh, and they're safe while the rest of the firstborn males are not in, in Egypt. And Jesus, when he breaks that bread at the Last Supper, he, he reinterprets that meal and says, yes, this was, this was God's greatest act of salvation for you up until this point, but now... I'm going to reinterpret this meal. And anytime you now see the, the broken bread and the cup, you'll think of the Exodus and you'll think of me. You'll think of the lamb's blood and me as the lamb of God, broken, sacrificing myself for you. And I think they would have, I think they would have seen this. And, and maybe it wasn't like God just automatically uncovered their eyes and they, they were able to see Jesus for who he was. Uh, I think it's one of those moments where you, it's, it's an epiphany, right? You just kind of, something clicks. 
the right memory pops up, the, the, the correct neural synapses fire to, to make you understand what it is that you're actually seeing. The breaking of bread. They're like, oh, that's Jesus. The Marys were right. He is alive. And then poof, Jesus is gone. Fun stuff, right? I, I, I love this. I love it how, how simple this particular story is. How, how simple it, God revealing himself to his disciples are. Uh, there's a couple things that I think are really important in the way this story takes place. One is that Jesus reveals himself in the context of Israel's story. In the context of everything that God has done in the world to bring it back from the brink of destruction and, and sinfulness to, to bring about salvation and redemption. That Jesus is a part of that story and he only makes sense in light of everything that's happened before. I, I will say that's, that's why we read the Bible here anyway. That's why when I preach, I preach generally just from the Bible, telling the story that's included in it. Because it is only in this story that you and I can have any idea of what Jesus is doing. It's only in this story that you and I can find, have found, the salvation Jesus came to bring. Uh, the second thing is, so this Jesus comes to us and reveals, to himself, reveals himself to us in the form of a story. Uh, the second thing is that Jesus comes to do this not just to an individual, uh, but ultimately where two, maybe or three, right, as Jesus says, a different place, where people are gathered together. I don't, I don't think that Cleopas and his unnamed friend, had they just been alone walking that day, maybe their eyes would have been open, but they would have missed the opportunity to, to immediately discuss with each other what it is they had just seen and heard. God's revelation to us Jesus telling us who he is comes to us in a story and it always comes to us in the midst of community. To where you and I, when we, when we encounter this story, when, when Jesus reveals himself to us uh, as, as Jesus does in, in small and insignificant ways most of the time, that we are together and we gather together and we are able to have a conversation about what it means now. What does it mean now to follow Jesus Christ? Uh, how, how now do I understand what God is doing in the world? Unfortunately, I'm afraid that you and I uh, have a tendency to be a lot like Cleopas and his friend, except maybe not as open <laughs> sometimes 
to the story or to the conversation. I asked, I asked our Bible study and myself this question this week. Uh, what was it external to the Cleopas and his friends that, that kept them from recognizing who Jesus was? Uh, what, what might have happened, been around culturally? And so I ask us that same question. What, what voices, what messages, what things might you and I be constantly exposed to, even unintentionally, that, that keep us from recognizing who Jesus is? I, I believe, I believe that, that we're all, we're all on a journey somewhere, right? In a way, we're all on the road to Emmaus. We're all trying to figure out what's happened and why it's happened and where God fits in all of that. And I think sometimes we don't, well, we, we, we're just not open to Jesus showing up in, in what might be a random and an unexpected way so that we can hear what, what Jesus might be calling us to learn or what Jesus might be calling us to do. Uh, but I think there's hope. Hope for us. Hope for us as we continue to gather and worship. As we continue to, to break bread or coffee with each other. Um, as we try to figure out, we have conversations of about what it is that God is calling us to or how we understand all of the changes and problems of our world. I hope that, that in those moments and, and in moments like these maybe and in moments like this, in a couple of moments, that God begins to reveal himself to us. But we have to be familiar and in the story of which Jesus is a part. We have to know it. Now, you don't have to have it memorized. You don't even have to be able to tell it all interrupted, but I think there's, well, there's something to be said for at least knowing the, the highlights and how those are connected. But we have to figure it out in the midst of community as well. I could go off on a tangent here about listening to other people and how a lot of our conversations these days are, are angry and fear-laden. And I think those things are what possibly keeps us from seeing the love and the grace of Christ. We do, we have multiple opportunities uh, throughout the week too. Our kids do on Wednesday nights. Our youth group does on Wednesday nights and on Sundays. But it's not, it's not only what happens here. Uh, you can be Cleopas and his unnamed friend over a cup of coffee at GoPo or a cup of popcorn or a soda, which they have too. I'm not plugging GoPo, by the way. Maybe I am. I don't know. Well, my, um, well here's... here's the last thing, I guess. Uh, 
Jesus is never going to hit us over the head with what he wants us to do. Uh, we have to be open to it. And it maybe, maybe it starts uh, with the Lord's Supper. Maybe it starts with us uh, celebrating this and uh, breaking the bread. Saying, Lord, we don't always understand what this crucifixion and resurrection thing means. And we repent of it. But as we participate in this meal, Lord, help us to have open eyes. Both in this moment and as we go forth to live Christ-like lives in our communities. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.